Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Yeah, check one, two. All right, I'm on. Well, happy Mother's Day. Aren't they the cutest? Oh, man. Uh, We had a little bit of a superhero birthday party this morning, and so they were also wearing masks as they were running around saying happy Mother's Day as little Supermans and Batmans and green flashes. So there was a confusing mask that everyone wasn't sure about, but (laughs) we made it work. But Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to church. We're so glad that you're able to be here with us this morning. It is a beautiful day outside, so I promise we won't keep you beyond the amount that we told you that we're going to keep you. So if you remember that number, that's good. If you don't, well, that's just going to be how long we stay. So (laughs) we're going to have a great time this morning. Uh, If this is your first time here with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, uh, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about what you think about this whole God thing, uh, I just hope that you felt welcome, that you felt accepted, that this has been a place that has shown you warmth and kindness already. Um, first of all, uh, Mother's Day is, is a wonderful thing that we get to celebrate and for myself, because I have the microphone and because I know that if, even if there's only one person who listens to this podcast, it's probably my mom. So happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Love you. Appreciate you. Uh, about five years ago, six years ago, I got a head start on Mother's Day festivities, um, f- maybe forevermore, over Jessica. <laughs> so what we did is we had three of us come up on stage and we had I love mom t-shirts on and we did a little boy band thing One Direction had just kind of come out Uh, that's what makes you beautiful had just started to blow up the charts and we decided to do our own like Mother's Day rendition of it and it was wonderful and I'm still milking that to this day but Mother's Day is like one of those wonderful things that we get to do as a community Uh, and we're given the gift of being able to pause and to reflect. But there, there's no way to name all the experiences we have with this noun mom. Uh, for some of us, mom is a word filled with love, filled with safety, filled with joy. And sure, we likely know that our mom isn't perfect uh, and our experience with our mom isn't perfect, but we know it is deeply good. And for others, the word mom is filled with tension or, or longing or heartbreak. Uh, Maybe our own relationship with our mom is is fraught or we live with the loss of a mom or we've lost a child or or terminate our pregnancy. We believe that our prayers can actually hold all of these things. So uh, that we can sit with God when our hearts are happy and when they need a little bit of healing as well. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to offer a prayer. First, celebrating our moms. Second, praying for each other. And third, resting in the palm of a parenting God. So would you pray with me? So for all the ways that we have been mothered well, 
through moms, dads, aunts, uncles, grandparents, teachers, friends, and mentors, Jesus, we give you thanks. For those who welcomed new life this year, who expanded their role as mothers, who deepened their connection with their children in their lives, Jesus, we give you thanks. For those who are in the trenches of parenting, who are working so hard to feed, to nurture, to teach and shape children and youth while juggling so much more, Jesus, we give you thanks. For those who have lost a mom, a grandma, or a child this year, we grieve. And Holy Spirit, send your comfort and care. For those who experience distance from their moms, who cannot have children of their own, who have redefined motherhood for themselves as something bigger than giving birth, Spirit, send your guidance, your comfort, and your care. For moms in need of encouragement today, of strength and support, Spirit, send all of that and more. God, you keep us close. Keep track of us, and you never stop loving us. God, parent us with your love. For all the needs mentioned and those that were unnamed, we give them to you. May you infuse all of our mothering efforts with grace and bless those in need of your mothering care today. We pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, as I was preparing this message this week, I felt extremely unqualified to speak directly as to what it means to be a mother. <laughs> and I think that's for obvious reasons. Uh, but I, I, can all, I can say from a certain perspective that I have been blessed with incredibly strong, powerful, influential, inspirational women in my life who have shown me the way in so many different avenues. That have, have shown me kindness and have shown me justice have shown me what it means to love and shows me, shown me what it means to lead. And all of those things have been formative in who I am today. So for that, I am thankful. And on this day, this is a great opportunity to remember those people. Whoever they might be, I, I encourage you, take the moment today and do just that. And let me say this right off the bat. Um, there's a lot of language when it comes to Christianity about a God being almost purely like a masculine entity. As if, as if God does not have this, this feminine identity to him. But, yes, there are, there's language, obviously, with Jesus, but it's, and with the metaphor of the Father, but there is also a beauty seen in the person of God that is shown through the females in our life, through the women in our life. That we are all made in the image of God, and therefore God is shown through all of us. And so it is important for us as a church to recognize that we are doing ourselves a disservice if we are not leaning in to and holding true to the simple statement that all are equal and accepted and valued in the body of Christ. We need to be a church that sees and accepts and elevates the gifts and talents of everyone. We are doing a disservice to ourselves and to the church if we do not believe that women are not equal. 
This is not just a, a side topic that needs to be thrown to, thrown to the wayside and we just believe because society thinks this way, we think that way. This is a biblical perspective. This is a biblical truth that says that the women in our life who have the ability to communicate, to teach, to lead, to love, to show care, they are supposed to be given that opportunity within the church. To preach, to teach, to lead, to, to, to perform all of the facilities that you see a male pastor might or a male leader might do, we are not going to be the church that stops that from happening. We believe that there is a place for that at all times within our community, and we are better for it. We are missing out on the fullness of the grace of God when we do not recognize that the feminine perspective, the female perspective, the women in our community have so much to give and I have so much to learn from them. So this is who we are. This is what I'm excited about. And this is what we believe as a church community. And I got to say that. I got that off my chest. All right. <laughs> yeah. So today, today we're going to be taking a look at one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible found in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to toss it up on the, the giant screen in the sky. Going to Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 11, going to verse 18, and you can follow along. And it says, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in the womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So we'll provide a little bit of context to that passage, but let me ask you a question first. Um, how do you respond to crisis? And this kind of sounds like a serious question, but when, when I was first thinking about it, I was thinking about all of the funny ways that we respond to crisis. How we have like this physical reaction. Sometimes our bodies do things that we're not used to when we have a moment of crisis. Sometimes we are a little bit unreasonable. Sometimes we say things we don't mean to say. We do things we don't mean to do. And we have this like mentality that we want to be the superhero in that moment of crisis. That we're going to know the exact right thing to say in the exact right moment to save the exact situation that we believe we are exactly there for. So how do you respond in crisis? Are you calm? Are you inspirational? Do you rally the troops? Do people gather around you and say, yes, we will deal with this crisis? Or do you panic? 
Do you, do you look around for someone else to be inspirational, to look to them to rally the troops? I, th I think we all have this perspective. We, we, we all ask this question, whether or not we're aware of it or not, we all respond differently in these moments of crisis. But for myself, I have seen, uh, specifically with my own mom, how she responds in crisis, but it's differing how she responds in crisis when it involves her kids. It has been, like, it's been, it's been documented that there has been moments where adrenaline pumps up for a mother and she like lifts a car to save her child. And there, there's these dramatic superhero moments. But my own mom, she had a little bit of a superhero moment for, for herself. Uh, so Jessica, really, really great kid, had lots of friends. But well, one girl in her school didn't particularly like Jessica, and my mom found out about it because she, the girl didn't just like Jessica, she was being a little bit of a bully along the way. And so the school that Jessica was a part of was in our church, and so Sunday rolled around. Mom didn't wait till Monday. Sunday rolled around, and uh, this poor little girl was standing out in the foyer, and my mom, no hesitation, made a beeline to that little girl. And I think it was like, let's say eight. So, little, but old enough to understand what was going on. And my mom very sternly leaned down and says, you are not going to bully my daughter anymore. And so I think I'm saying it much nicer than she did because my mom brought her to tears like that. <laughs> but it escalated because the father of said little girl sees my mom across the foyer, makes a beeline to this interaction that's about to happen, steps in front, goes nose to nose with my mom. I'm standing behind my mom as if I'm going to do something. I'm not going to do anything at this point. I'm just so confused that this is actually happening with my own mother. And so my mom, the gentleman, Face to face, he's starting to raise his voice. Mom's starting to raise her voice. And then eventually my mom stands up and says, Honey, deal with this guy. <laughs> and just yells out for my dad to come across the room and deal with it. And my dad is the kind of individual who deals in crisis really well, was calm, took him to the side room, had a nice conversation that ended well. I don't know how the conversation actually went. I just know it was well afterwards. <laughs> but it's, it's funny, these moments where, where how we respond in crisis, it, it, it can be unexpected. It, it could lead us down a, a, a course of action that we're not so used to. I don't know if I've ever seen my mom respond like that in another situation. But when it came to her children, something that she cares about so deeply, you do not want to mess. But how we deal with crisis varies. And, and I think that we often see God in the midst of our victories. We, we make the statement, something good happens in our life, and we, we say, wow, God really provided, and God stepped in on my behalf, and God showed himself to be present in my situation because I saw goodness, and I saw a victory take place. But when we are in the midst of crisis, when we are in the midst of suffering, can we see God's hand still be present? The book of Ruth, it's this brilliant work of art, and it invites us to reflect on this question of how is God involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives? 
when I was reflecting upon what it, what it means to, to be a mother and, and having conversations with people much wiser than myself, it, it was those common everyday moments that seemed to keep on popping up. Those rhythms of life that you fall into caring for those that you love, caring for those around you. And the story of, of Ruth is fascinating because there's three, there's three main characters. There's Naomi, there's Ruth, and there's Boaz. And, and their story is told in, in four chapters that are beautifully designed. And we just read a small part of chapter one. But at the very beginning, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. And so it's putting into context that there's a lot of strife in Israel at the time. In the days that the judges ruled, there's a lot of strife, there's a lot of conflict, there's famine actually taking place. And so what happens is Naomi and her husband at the time and her two sons, they make their way to Moab and they want to make a new life for themselves. They want to be able to survive. They want to be able to provide for their family. And when they move there, they get, the, the boys get married to two Moabite women, to Orpah and to Ruth. But then the father dies. And then the two sons die. And that's where we find ourselves in, in our passage. That it seems as if everything has been ripped away from them. They have experienced crisis. They've seen suffering. And, and in reality, it, it doesn't feel as if they've done anything wrong, but really try and provide for the people that they love. And... What Naomi is trying to do here, she's saying to them, she knows that to re return to Israel as an immigrant, who, as a widow, was not going to be a good situation for either women. And so she gives them the opportunity, she invites them actually to, to leave, to return back to their families. That was going to be best for them. Naomi is this consistent character of trying to care for another, even with bitterness in her heart. At the end of this chapter, she actually changes her name to mean bitter. There's great hurt within her, but yet she still provides this moment in the midst of this hurt and suffering for the other to find hope. And Orpah, she returns to her culture, to her family, to her, to her normal surroundings. And Ruth, Ruth is a little stubborn. And I like Ruth because Ruth is loyal. Ruth is not just an individual who got married into the family and hates her mother-in-law. No, 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 no. Ruth carried something much deeper on the inside of her. And it's this thing called compassion. Compassion was compelling Ruth in this moment. In the midst of so much despair and uncertainty, Ruth shows an incredible sense of compassion. 1 John 3.16 says this. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And this single, immigrant, under-resourced, highly marginalized woman is used in this biblical text to be more than simply a story of a woman following her mother-in-law, but to be a representation of Christ. Choosing to journey through life even when it was hard, coming to earth in great compassion to experience all that it was to be human, knowing the likely consequence of those actions. Ruth was showing the story of Jesus to us before Jesus was even here. 
And I love the fact that God is using the story of a woman to tell the story of Jesus in this story, in this situation. Because the thing is, compassion asks us to go where it hurts. To enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, into fear, in confusion, and in anguish. Compassion, it, it, it challenges us to cry out to those in misery. To mourn with those who are lonely and weep with those in tears. Compassion, it requires us to be weak with the weak, to be vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means a full immersion in the condition of being human. And this is the decision that Ruth makes. She leads her life from this place of compassion. And in this moment of crisis, compassion is what pours out of her. What if we were, as people, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, not looking for the perfect action in those moments, but looking for the right heart in those moments of crisis? Instead of looking for the perfect action we led from a place of compassion. How would that form your thoughts, your thinking, your, your interactions with people? To see the struggle within the moment and not run from it with our own selfish nature intact, but with the full desire to love as Christ has loved us, to lay down our life for another. To lay down our life sounds so physical and so dramatic, but in reality, it's to put away the things that we hold on to that are meant specifically for our own benefit. To rid ourselves of our selfish nature, to take upon the compassionate nature of Christ, and to serve those around us in a way that is unexpected. That is what it means to be compassionate. And to have that heart in the midst of crisis will transform the world that you are in, the situations that you come into, and the families that you are a part of. I think we're, we're so guilty of trying to articulate and formulate and strategize the perfect situations for everything to come together in this beautiful sense of harmony. I want this person to like this person, and I want this family member to get along with this family member, and I'm going to orient it so that I invite this person at this time, and they're going to come at this time, and then one, one's leaving, the other one's going to see the other, and then they're both going to be amazing friends at the end of it. And we set this plan in motion without understanding the deep hurts and suffering and crisis that are in within both individuals and how our sense of compassion can simply be the thing that draws people together. So Ruth, she brings compassion. Because the stories of those who care for us, maybe you've noticed this, that those who care for us well you never feel like they are doing it simply out of a sense of duty or need. Or, but, but the ones that we, we look at with, with awe and with wonder and we're like, I want to be like you. I want to be around you. I want to know you. And we have conversations with them and we're, we're asking ourselves, why do you treat me so nicely without receiving anything in return? You know those people in our lives. To love others is to have a desire to lay down your own life, to lay down your preference, your own benefits, your own ambition, your own plans and your goals. When we can identify the place where our compassion is calling us, there is incredible hope for tomorrow to be found. 
And this is where we're going in Ruth's story. Because the story continues. And in chapter 2, uh, it begins with Naomi and Ruth. And they're discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens that it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest in Israel at the time. And so Ruth, she goes out to the field and she starts looking for some food. And she ends up picking up grain in a field by, owned by a guy named Boaz. And everyone kind of knows the, if you've been in church any extended period of time, you've heard the, like, the Christian joke of you don't need someone that's a broke ass. God, no, I don't know all the, well, I was going to say weird things, but Boaz <laughs> was the one that she came across. And it, he just so happens to be Naomi's relative. And we're told that Boaz is a man of noble character and, and he notices her. So after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her and he makes those special provisions so that an immigrant uh, can be provided grain. And this was just in alignment with the Torah. He wasn't going out of his way in a really dramatic manner, to be honest. He is not the hero in this moment. He is simply operating as the law was leading him. The law was saying that you care for immigrants and you provide them food. And so he did so. But the Bible is really interesting, and it says, that it's, it says that Boaz was so impressed, not by her, her fine looks, her pretty new clothes, her grain-picking skills. He might have been. <laughs> but the Bible says that he was impressed by her loyalty. And I, and I love that loyalty is locked on in this situation. Because loyalty is, is not one of those, like, biblical paradigms that we talk about very often. We talk about love, and we talk about grace, and we talk about how we need to have the joy of the Lord and find peace in the midst of our suffering. But what is this thing that the Bible brings to the forefront in saying that, that the thing that impressed Boaz the most was her loyalty? Because this is what Boaz understood, that loyalty was not simply staying with the woman that she was obligated to stay with, but loyalty was staying in the crisis, in the suffering, in the struggle, beyond the point where she was obligated to. And the thing that caught his attention was her loyalty. What a beautiful invitation for us. That we might not always have everything perfectly set in our situation. That we might not know exactly how to perfectly pick the grain, to get the food, to get our lives set up so that we are happy and, and moving forward in the direction that we think that we're supposed to move forward in. But the thing that might actually draw us forward into the purpose of God in our situation is simply the sense of loyalty. And not loyalty for our own desires and our own preferences, but loyalty to a cause and a calling that is outside of ourselves. Loyalty that demands sacrifice. Loyalty that calls us into a, a calling that is for someone else. This was a loyalty not to her own situation, but a loyalty to Naomi. So compassion drew her to walk with her. And loyalty brought her to stay with her. And then the story continues with Boaz taking the notice of 
I was going to say Esther, of Ruth. And so Ruth, she returns home and she has a conversation with Naomi. And Naomi, being the mother-in-law that she is, she is pumped. She is excited. She's like, oh, I know Boaz and he is good. I was going to say good as, but... Um, <laughs> So she's excited. She says that actually in, in, in our culture, there's this thing called a family redeemer. And the family redeemer is actually obligated to consider that if the sons die, they have the opportunity to take on all of the land and all of the ownings of that family, as well as marry the widow. And so what does, what does Naomi do? She takes her on a little shopping spree. And she says, hey, tomorrow I don't want you to dress as a widow. I just want you to put on some colors. I want you to get out in that field. And I want you to make yourself a little known. And so Ruth takes some good advice, dresses the part, goes out into the field, continues to pick that grain. As only she knows how to pick that grain. And she shows up and she sees Boaz again. And the Bible says again that it was not her clothing that impressed him. It is not simply her grain-picking abilities. It was her loyalty. It says it again. Because loyalty was what was capturing his heart in that moment. Because the thing is, loyalty is not normal. It is a unique thing that we don't often see in our society. We, we often see loyalty when it is to our benefit, to an individual's benefit, but we don't often see loyalty when it is to an individual's detriment. Don't you see that in a movie every once in a while where there's two guys and man, they're doing life together and, and they're, they're pushing forward and they seem like the best of friends and then something happens and then one guy pieces out and he's like, I can't deal with this. This is going to hurt me. But the idea of loyalty drew Boaz to Ruth. And too often, I think in, in Christianity, uh, we, we fall prone to idolizing the wrong things, being impressed by the wrong things, that we can be impressed by the things that somehow cause impact. That if it works, let's go with it. If it's big, it's good. If it's dynamic, it's God. When in reality, the thing that draws Christ, that, that sparks his heart, that makes God smile, that impresses, is things of our heart, of compassion, of loyalty. And then the third thing we see in this story with, with Ruth, it's boldness. Because Ruth, Ruth is a, is a modern day woman. I think we have this perspective sometimes that the Bible has women on this like lower elevation as if they were constantly beat down. But I love in the story of Ruth that Boaz is not the one to actually talk about the idea of marriage. Boaz doesn't even get an opportunity. Ruth is the one who starts the conversation. She doesn't just dress the part. She doesn't just pick the grain. She doesn't just impress because of her loyalty. She says, hey, Boaz, you are our family redeemer and you can redeem me. 
And she starts the conversation. And the Bible says that she was, again, impressed by not, not just her loyalty, but just the boldness in her heart. I love that. I love the fact that she's, she's like, I'm going to take the step. Even though it's a little bit uncomfortable, even though I'm not sure exactly where it's going to lead, but I'm going to take that step. Compassion leading the loyalty and loyalty providing space for her boldness to come to life. And then soon after, Boaz is like, yes, this makes a lot of sense. I'm gonna, let's, let's make this happen. And then he finds out. He finds out that there was another man who actually had a greater claim to the position of family redeemer. And so he had to tell her and she was disappointed and, and Naomi was disappointed and they'd go through the right channels and he approached the man and he told, her, told him of his opportunity. And the guy was excited about the idea of actually getting all that land and getting this opportunity to expand his family. But then he found out about Ruth. Single marginalized, immigrants, Moabite woman. He wanted nothing to do with that. And he said no. And Boaz says, I would take just you because I know your character. I have seen your compassion. I have seen your loyalty. And I have felt your boldness. And he makes the decision to welcome her in. And it's this beautiful story of how character trumps competence in this situation. That the character that she displayed for all to see was the thing that drew Boaz to her. That changed, that shifted the moment of crisis, that in the midst of great suffering, of great uncertainty, of great crisis, her character remained the same. And then the story continues. It doesn't end just there. She could have let depression take her out when her husband died. She could have gone with Orpah back to Moab. She could have given up when Naomi freaked out and started calling herself bitter. She could have decided not to go to the wine press in that final act of boldness. But she continued forward. But the story is beautifully designed. And that design actually connects with the really interesting feature of it. And that's how little... God is mentioned in the book of Ruth. The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly. And that is the story's brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of the story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all the characters. So Naomi, Naomi, she thinks that her tragedy leads her to this place that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her compassion, through her boldness, through her loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life, healing to Ruth's life, and healing to Boaz's life, and even healing to that community in that time. 
because the story continues and, and, and the book continues with, with a genealogy talking about the lineage of Ruth and Boaz afterwards and they have a son and that son becomes the grandfather to David. And David is from the lineage that Jesus came from. So from the character, from the boldness, and from the compassion of a woman that had every reason to flee in the midst of crisis and in the midst of suffering, where she didn't hear the name of God, she didn't know if God was present, she didn't hear him call her directly into a situation, but she continued in this character that was so set deeply within her. God was using her life for so much more than she could have ever imagined. That the story of Jesus was continued through the sacrifice and through the commitments of a Moabite woman. To the least of those he comes for because it's from the least of those he comes from. That is the beautiful story of Jesus. That he invites us to discover him in every moment, that even when we are simply operating in the common and menial moments of our life, those picking grain moments where we are just trying to survive, we're just trying to progress, we're just trying to do move forward, we're just trying to do the right thing, and we're just trying to care for the people that are around us, God is in and working in those moments. The story of Ruth says that even when the name of God is not present, he is. He does not leave us, nor does he forsake us. And sure, that can sound nice, but there are so many moments in our life where we experience pain and suffering and crisis, and we don't hear him and we don't see him, but this story is an assurance to our hearts that he is forever with you. So live from a place of compassion. Have a sense of loyalty to something that is beyond yourself. Have boldness, for he is with you. So for those of us here this morning, that you are caring for an individual in your, in your life, maybe you're a mother, but maybe it's in your workplace, Maybe it's for someone that has come into your story that has been completely unexpected, but you've adopted them as your own. I think some, one of the hardest parts of actually caring for others is this question that runs through our mind is, does this even matter? Is it going to mean anything? And the assurance that we get in the story of Ruth is that your simple, everyday, common task that we question if it has any meaning in our world has the opportunity to change the trajectory of history because God is always active and working and in the midst of our stories. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful that in every moment of our hardship and of our hurt, we can find you. That even when we don't hear you or, or sense you, that we have the promise that you are with us. 
that you are working behind the scenes in the details to bring us forward into your ultimate story, your grander story of restoration and redemption. Thank you that you came for the individual, but you also came for our communities and for our cities and for our world to bring your kingdom here on earth. Father, I pray for every person here this morning that is caring for another. And perhaps they are exhausted. That they are burnt out and they are tired by this constant process that they're in. Would you stir in them a new strength? Would you reveal to them your presence in the midst of their story? And would you show to them that every action that they're taking has meaning in your plan. That your ways are higher than our ways, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and that you invite us to continue on the journey of life to discover you in the midst of it. So for all who are in that place, we offer ourselves to you. Whether our workplace, our home, another space, that we occupy on a consistent basis. Give us strength. Thank you that you have shown yourself over and over again and we discover you in your word. And you show yourself in the unique perspective of an immigrant Moabite woman that operates with compassion, loyalty, and boldness. Transform us, change us. We're so grateful for all that you do in our stories and more. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.